Good morning, Canvas Church. And to all those who are watching us from around the country, thank you for worshiping with us today from your home. God is here. No truer words could be spoken than that. This is our hope in good times and in bad, in joy and in suffering, that God is here. And today we are we're going to continue in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Faith in Uncertain Times. And throughout this series, we are looking at individuals who chose to cling to their faith instead of fear. Uh, a few weeks back, we talked about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Last week, we, we talked about Job and his faith. And then this week, we're going to be learning from the book of Daniel. And as we approach the book of Daniel today, I want to address perhaps the most pressing question on our minds during this challenging season. And that is, what is God doing? What, what is his purpose and plan in all that we have been walking within uh, in this global pandemic? You know, we, we may never know the answer to that question. Um, Romans 11.33 makes this clear, though. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. So though we may not know the plans of God or may not understand what he is doing, we know this. He is infinitely wise. He is abundantly good and he is absolutely sovereign. And in times that are unpredictable, such as this one, which we find ourselves in, when the virus is, in, is controlling the news that we're watching and governments are, have and are making unprecedented decisions, when our economy is at risk, there is assurance, there is hope, and there is certainty. In the book of Daniel, we are reminded that in the midst of great turmoil, our God reigns. God is still on the throne. He is in control. And we can turn to him in faith, trusting without fear. We can worship him and praise him. The book of Daniel speaks profoundly to us during these challenging, during this challenging season. Daniel is part of the prophetic di division of the canon of the Bible. So in 586 BC, because of the rebellion, uh, to God, the Israelite nation is exiled out of the promised land and into captivity to the Babylonian Empire. The holy city of Jerusalem is left in ruins. The temple of Yahweh is destroyed. And that means that the Davidic monarchy, the, the monarchy which God promised would, would reign forever, is essentially wiped out. And Daniel was a Hebrew in exile during this time of Babylonian captivity. He, along with three other Hebrew young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, are taken from Israel to Babylon um, to be trained as scholars and, and servants for the Babylonian Empire. These three friends of Daniel, you'll probably know better by their Babylonian names, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So things look very bleak for the nation of Israel during this time, and it all seems to point to one of two conclusions. At the very best, the God of Israel was powerless to stop this destruction from happening, and, or he's unable to fulfill his promises to his chosen people, or at the very worst, 
this God of Israel that has been spoken of is really no God at all. And, and the book of Daniel is written not to remind Israel of its former days of glory, but it instead is written to describe one of the lowest points in Israel's history, a time that appeared to be uh, utter chaos and in unpredictable circumstances, that through all of that, that God was still in control. The book of Daniel sets the record straight once and for all to its readers, reminding them that God is here. And though it appeared from a human perspective that the God of Israel was helpless to stop the destruction of Jerusalem and powerless to save Israel from ca captivity, and though it may have appeared that the God of Israel was no God at all, Daniel's message is clear. God is absolutely in control. This is, in fact, the centric message of the book. This is why Daniel refers to Yahweh God as the Most High God. Ten times he refers to him as the Most High God. And four different times he refers to him as the Highest One. Making a statement that there is no throne that is higher than the throne of God. There is no God but Yahweh. There's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no crisis that is outside of his rule. The book of Daniel gives us a lot of lessons regarding God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty that I, I believe will help us this morning. I believe that we need to take these to heart. These are lessons that bring us comfort during times that are uncertain. They give us true security in a world right now that seems to be chaotic and encourages us to put our trust and our complete assurance in the God who promised that he is working all things for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So God's sovereignty is over all matters, big and small. God's sovereignty covers all human governments. So in a time like this where maybe, maybe we doubt the government's handling of this situation, we've got to remember that the Lord himself has placed those leaders over us, and the Lord oversees each and every one of these decisions. God's sovereignty includes each and every leader of our government. As Daniel chapter 5 concludes, the mighty city of Babylon, which was thought to be impenetrable, falls to a new ruler, and David ensures his readers know that this is the hand of Yahweh. This is the hand of God that is that is initiating this change as seen in the literal appearance of God's hand. Something that I found really interesting as, as I was studying this was that in this day when, when kings were defeated, their hands were cut off. Which sounds super brutal, right? But their hands were cut off as a symbol of their utter defeat. So then a king was unable to wield his scepter because his hand had been cut off, symbolizing utter defeat, ultimate defeat. So Yahweh ensures that the ruler of Babylon know that he has not been defeated. His hand is still active, so much so that his hand actually determined King Belshazzar's end and King Darius's beginning. In the very words of Daniel chapter 5, verse 21, he says, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth 
and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. That means God's sovereignty encompasses all the leaders of government, no matter how righteous or how evil. Daniel rose in the ranks in the king's court and eventually he, he had great influence with the Babylonian kings. Daniel is noted for interpreting dreams and several of the two different kings had dreams that needed to be interpreted and being a man of God, um, Daniel was brought in and, and God demonstrates uh, Daniel's faithfulness and his faithfulness to God even in the worst of persecution. In fact, Dan God distinguishes Daniel above the rest. We see that all throughout the book. And what that shows is that even though the balance of power has shifted, the world has shifted, God is still at work. He's still sovereign in the big things and in the intricacies uh, of the affairs of government and leadership. God's hand is still involved. Listen to what Daniel says as he prays for the wisdom of God to interpret the dream of the king in, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings, and he raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the declining uh, to the discerning. He reveals, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So God's sovereignty covers all of human government. God's sovereignty also overrules evil plans. Daniel was a man who was about to be promoted to become prime minister over all the land. And yet there were those who were jealous and envious of, of Daniel's authority and of the attention that he was garnering from the king. And so they made plans to try to um, discredit Daniel. But what they found is that they couldn't find any, any, any accusation to leverage against him. Uh, uh, particularly Daniel uh, had a strong work ethic and they couldn't bring anything against that. And so these evil men decide to come up with a plan to turn Daniel's faithfulness to God against him. And so they convince King Darius to ban prayer to anyone but the king himself. So they convince Darius, hey, prayer should be offered to you and you alone. And Darius agrees and he makes a decree accordingly that nobody can pray to any other gods or any other image or person besides the king himself. Now, I'm going to pause here, and I just want to take a moment to clarify something as a side note that I think is important, that our government and what our government has been calling us to do in response to the coronavirus um, is, is not what this situation that we read in Daniel looks like. The church is not being persecuted right now. Persecution is when a group of people are being singled out and being kept from doing the things that they normally have the freedom and right to do. Are we being challenged as the church to evaluate what the church really is meant to be and where its priorities are? 
Absolutely. But worship, prayer, and preaching of the gospel, those are not being banned. Our government is not calling us to forsake our faith, which is why we submit to the leadership that God has placed over us. I just wanted to make that clear because it can seem like, and there's been a lot of calls out for that, that our, our freedoms are being infringed upon. You know what? We still have the freedom to do what is best and most powerful within the church, to pray, to preach the gospel, to connect in relationship with one another, and to be an example to the world of God's love and grace and mercy. Now back to Daniel. Anyone found in violation to the king's decree would be thrown into the den of lions to meet a gruesome death. The question is, was this evil scheme something that, that God had no control of? Were God, were, was God's hands somehow tied to the laws of the Medes or the Persians in this? Did the commissioners and the satraps catch God off guard? Did they figure out a way to sneak this in and get this, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes where God did not notice? Could this evil plan derail God's purpose for Daniel's life? I think these are questions that that we are, are are wrestling with even today about our own current situation. And the answer is clear. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 10, it states, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nation. He frustrates the plans of peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. What that means is that nothing can stop the sovereign hand of God. God is the ultimate and final authority over everything, even including evil, over everything, everyone, and evil itself. Evil never defeats the purposes of God. In fact, the very opposite is true. All throughout Scripture, the glorious testimony resounds, and that is God overrules evil to bring about his ultimate purposes. King Darius and the administrators and the satraps, they certainly meant all of this for evil, but God meant it for good. Sin has not, cannot, and will not defeat the purposes of God. The world we are living in is not God's plan B. God has been telling a story since the beginning of time, and that story has more chapters in it. And that ending has already been written. And it ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Daniel knew that the document which outlawed prayer had been signed. He understood the consequences if he disobeyed. However, Daniel did not waver from his devotion to God. He didn't cave to the pressure. He didn't compromise to the fear. There was no worry and there was no doubt. Instead, he went into his home and he continued kneeling in prayer three times a day, which is what he had been doing prior. Sometimes in the face of fear, we have to make a decision to be obedient to God and to face our fears. Even if in that moment, what it looks like on the surface is that we will no longer be safe. Safety is something that right now, is really being measured in a lot of different ways. And um, what I'm reminded of during this time is the safest place for us to be is in the center of God's will. Back in 2011, 
my dad, um, my dad made a decision to go on a missions trip to Africa. And um, my dad's health was not great. He had had two strokes. He had had heart bypass. He had been through one bout of skin cancer. And then in the year prior in 2010, he had been diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Now his cancer was in a, a stable state. It was not progressing at that point, but he was not in fantastic health. And so there was good concern within the family about whether or not this was a wise decision. But hearing my dad's heart, we also knew that he felt very strongly about what the Lord was calling him to do. He called me one day and he asked me my opinion about how I felt about him taking this trip and if I thought it was a good idea or not. And I remember sharing with him that very thought that, Dad, the safest place that we could be is at the center of God's will. And that means that if you go to Africa and something happens to you, and God forbid that you're unable to return for some reason, that you die doing and serving God in his will and his purpose, I'm okay with that. I'm better than okay with that. I would rather you die serving God and responding in, in obedience to what he's called you to do than to live whatever days you have left outside of his will and outside of his purpose for you. And so my dad did go on that trip. Um, here's a, a picture. It's one of my favorite pictures of my dad in Africa. And this was in 2011. And this trip was life-changing for him. It was. And um, it set such an example of, of courage and obedience to God. And, um, you know, I'm so thankful that he had the opportunity to do this. Um, you know, because it's one thing for us to say that we believe in the sovereignty of God, but it's another thing to live as if God is actually sovereign. We can think that God is sovereign, but to live it out, that requires courage. That requires recognizing that safety and security is not in the things of this world. I think, uh, of anything, we are awakening to that fact. Uh, you know, a lot of us are, have become aware of the fact that we are more vulnerable than we ever thought that we were. You know, very few people are ever given notice of the day that they're going to die. Most people do not wake in the morning on their last day on the earth and go, oh, well, this is it. And, and, and that they, they know that ahead of time. We don't know. But oftentimes we walk around and we live and we put energy and time towards things as if we have all the time in the world and as if nothing can hurt us or harm us. We've never been safe in, in, in regards to our exterior safety, in regards to the things of this world. Um, we're not. Our own, our only true safety and security is found in Jesus Christ. You know, David could have rationalized the situation. He could have prayed privately. He could have prayed at night. He could have at the very least closed his windows to try to hide what he was doing. But instead, Daniel remained faithful to God. What concerned Daniel most was that God in all of this received glory and honor. Daniel's obedience became a loud statement to everyone around him that God is worthy to be worshipped regardless of the situation, even in the darkest of times. And this same is true today. God reigns and we worship him even in the midst of confusion, 
even in the midst of uh, inconvenience. You know, as much of anything, I, I think that the changes that have happened to the church have been nothing more than inconvenient. I, I miss people and I miss being with people as much, if not more than most. Um, I really, my energy is fed off of being in the presence of other people. But you know what? We've, so what? We've had to make some changes. But this isn't persecution the way that we know historically that the church has undergone persecution. This is just more inconvenient. And it's, it's going to be short-lived. The world is watching the reaction of the church during this time. It's watching the reaction of those who, who claim to follow Christ. They want to see how we respond in light of crisis. Do we cling to fear or do we cling and stand on our faith? As Daniel was praying, the commissioners and the satraps, they barged in on him. And as they expected, Daniel was doing what they thought he was going to be doing, which was praying. And so when the king heard about this, he was greatly distressed. He exerted all of his power and authority and, and resources trying to search for a loophole to, to get Daniel out of the situation. But in the end, even his hands were tied. The king was forced to give the orders. David was thrown into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. No human hand could intervene on Daniel's behalf. Not even the king of the most powerful empire in the world could intervene. Daniel is tossed into the lion's den and his fate seems certain. But understand this, what man cannot do, God can. God would not permit the lions to even touch Daniel. He shut their mouths. How and why did God do this? Because they listened to the voice of their creator. The creator is in total control of his creation. And this is true for all the creative order. When Jesus calmed the storm, with his, when, when the disciples were on the boat, the disciples said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is also true of disease. When asked about a man's blindness, Jesus said, it was so that the works of God might be displayed for in him for others to see. The psalmist put it this way, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. That means that God's sovereignty extends to lions, to the wind, to the sea, to bacteria, and to viruses. All creation bows to his will and to his word. If God can shut the, the mouths of lions, he certainly can stop a virus. So you may ask this question then, well, then why doesn't God do that? Why did God's sovereignty allow Daniel? <coughs> Excuse me. Why did Dan God's sovereignty allow Daniel to enter the lion's den? Why does God not eradicate this virus right now as I speak? Well, once Daniel is freed, Darius writes a pu public proclamation where he declares through all the land, ascribing the ultimate glory to the one and true God of Israel. Darius's decree acknowledges that Daniel's God is not dead, 
nor has he been defeated. And instead, to the contrary, that that God is alive, that he is steadfast, and that he is working out his divine plan. Even though Jerusalem and its, and its temple lay in ruins, Darius proclaims to the world that the one true living God, he is ruling and he is eternal and his reign will never pass away. The God of Israel is far different than the false gods of, of the Babylonians, the Medes, or the Persians. Those gods had eyes, but they could not see. They had ears, but they could not hear. They had mouths, but they could not speak. Only the God of Israel was able to shut the mouths of the lions. So why did God allow the evil plans of the commissioners and the satraps? Why did God allow Darius to sign the injunction where he outlawed prayer? Why did he allow Daniel to be thrown in the lion's den? Why did he save him from the lion's den? Why does God do what he does? Well, this takes us back to our original question this morning. Why does God do what he does? What is God doing right now in all of this? What is his plan and his purpose? The answer to those questions remain are, are, are the same for us today as they were in Daniel's time. And that is that the greatness and glory of God would be proclaimed throughout all the world. God's glory being put on display was the ultimate purpose for everything that took place in the book of Daniel, which is the ultimate purpose for everything that God does. Why does a good and all-powerful God allow a virus to circulate throughout the globe? Maybe it's so that life in him, life that only comes from knowing the gospel truth, can be magnified and proclaimed. Why does God allow economic hardship? Maybe it's so we would understand and have new perspective about where our eternal value should be. That our value is not in money. It's not in our possessions. It's not in our retirement, our 401k. All those things are temporary. That he, that God and God alone is our source for life. Why does a God allow evil to run rampant throughout the world? Maybe it's to emphasize his grace and his righteousness, his mercy and his love, and to remind us that one day God will keep his promise. He will vanquish all evil. Why has God allowed such unpredictable and uncertain times? Maybe it's to remind human beings that we are not sovereign. And that in our best efforts to create safety and security, stability and assurance for ourselves, the, the things that we long for, that assurance cannot be found in anything except for Jesus Christ. This is the truth which Easter has declared. He is risen. And no matter what circumstance comes against us in our life, Jesus has overcome. He has overcome this world. He confronted death and the grave, and he conquered it. He will bring us through this crisis. He will deliver you from whatever storm that you are facing. God is here. He is present in our pain. He's present in our loneliness, in our uncertainty, and in our fear. He is sovereign. He's sovereign in your life, in your family, 
in our church, in our community. He is sovereign in all creation. Let's pray today. God, I thank you for this time together in your presence. And as we close our service this morning in worship, God, I pray that we would remember that no matter what we're facing in this life, whether it's a, a, a personal challenge, whether it's a personal trial that we are uh, up against, or whether it's something on a global scale, big or small, that God, that you are sovereign and we can trust you and put our hope in you. That God, you love us and that you reign and will reign forever. And that Lord, that we do not have to cling to fear, but we can cling and stand on our faith that tells us that Jesus Christ is risen, that he has conquered death in the grave, that he is coming again, and that God is here in the midst of it all. We love you today and we thank you. In Jesus' name, bless each person as they're listening today, God. Bless their families in the week ahead. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.